Vodka. 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 Hey everyone, it's Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock Podcast. Fair warning, my guest tonight and I are very likely to be kind of vulgar, so consider this your warning. Um, and, uh, you know, but we're not going to have any spoilers, really spoilery, I don't think. So welcome to the show for the first time, Michael Lark. Hey, welcome aboard. Hey. So we're going to be talking about Lazarus and other things that just come up, but um, I, I really wanted to get more people aware of this book. It's written by Greg Rucka, drawn by you, colored by Santi Arcus. And, um, you know, so like I said, we're not going to be too spoilery, but there's like a lot of issues already out. So uh, the stuff that we're talk about isn't necessarily going to wreck, you know, oh, no, massive. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm really careful about that. Yeah. Really uh, about that, so, so um, like, it just seems really timely that Lazarus came out when it did. And I know, I, I know this sort of, um, I don't like nihilistic, I guess, world is, it's not like it's never been done before, but we're here in the U S and it's August, 2014. And there's some, a lot of shit going down. <laughs> um, around the world and here and it's it just is one of those things that for some reason like this book feels really really timely right now uh the in lazarus there's the geography of the world is divided into the basically the countries are sort of it it looks more like those old maps of before the continents separated, you know, like there's just this big block owned by these people. There's this big block owned by these people. Um, And it's kind of how we live with, you know, the Illuminati sense that there's only really like five, you know, zillionaires that run the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So you've got like these families in charge of these big, huge geographic areas. And then after the family population, you have the serfs, which sounds like a bad word, but that's their middle class. And then you have the waste, which is even worse. So um, to give an example, I, I wrote down from one of the, the captions that South Central L.A., there's two family members, 322,000 surf, 2.8 million people considered waste. Mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, the family members live there. They're just there temporarily in just, that one, right? Yeah, yeah. So like sometimes it'll say, depending like – from issue to issue, uh, it'll say like, you know, one temporary, one permanent right. or something right. like that. Um, because uh, the characters do go around to, you know, check on the status of the organization. And it's very, just very mafia-like. Mm-hmm. So um, we're in this crisis right now. And I was thinking about Detroit. This is before we even got to like Ferguson with talking about, um, you know, people rising up against their government that, that's there and everything. At the time, when I was reading through a couple of the issues, I was thinking about the Detroit water problem mm-hmm. and how there are, like, you know, these big facilities like the arenas and stuff that owe millions of dollars and they don't have to pay their water bill, but the people are getting their water turned off. And in Lazarus, it's sort of this similar thing. Like they don't have water, they don't have power. Yeah. Uh, is that is that something like? I mean, I know that since Greg is the writer, what's the 
what's the script like when when you get it? Um, whew, in what way? I mean, like, does he mention things like that? Is that kind of what you're yeah. getting at? Yeah, I was um, wondering, like... No, I mean, you know, the script... Greg always says that the script is, is really... A comic script is really an epistolatory form of writing in that, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's just an, a set of instructions written by the writer to the artist. So... Um, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff doesn't really deal with the nuts and bolts of what we're drawing. I mean, there's occasionally times where he'll say, think of blah or think of, you know, X or Y, but usually it's more based on phone conversations we have. Um, you know, Greg, it's really Greg more so than me or Greg more so than I is a, um, he's really, he really stays up on current events and, you know, social justice things um, just really rankle him. And, uh, you know, it does to me too, but I can step away from it, I think, a little easier than Greg can. I can kind of detach from it a little more than he can. Greg, Greg has a really, really, really strong sense of justice. And when, when he sees that kind of injustice, it just rankles him and he has to do something about it. You know, whether that is, you know, I don't know, go yell and scream outside somewhere or, you know, in Greg's case, more often than not, I think it's right something. I noticed that because it really comes through in the back matter. Yeah. You know, he gets, first of all, you get like a ton of, you know, fan questions and he answers them, you know, pretty as as thoroughly as necessary. Um, But he'll go into detail about, like new inventions like it seems like he he does keep up on literally every daily beat of something new that's out and you know thinking about technology and um like one of the things that um that stands out in my head is when you have that scene of um the barrett family where they're you know floods are coming and like everything's about to be destroyed but like the box still works mm-hmm. the post yeah. and I, the post and i know that um some of the fans have written in and questioned about you know okay so these people don't have water but they have this piece of technology that connects them to the world and it's like well yeah you know <laughs> well it, it it's not it's that it connects the family to them you know it's it, it's it is how they're monitored it's how their entire life is run i mean you know they're they're kind of they're almost like sharecroppers or something. Um, you know, they're they're almost they're tenant farmers essentially. Um, and you know, the land is owned by the family. Um, you know, they still have to conduct business. I mean, they get an income. It's a paltry income, and you know, it consists of just enough for them to get by and do the work that the family wants them to do. Um, but in order for that to happen, you know, the family's got to maintain some sense of control over people that needs, you know, out in the middle of nowhere in Montana. So, uh, you know, that's what the post does. Uh, you know, it's the internet, it's the television, it's the mail system, it's the telephone, um, it's big brother, it's, it's all of that stuff. So it's pretty much built to be indestructible because they don't want people, you know, ripping it off the wall. Or tampering right. with it or something so that they can have secret meetings to plot how to overthrow the family. You know, they don't want that. So, yeah, it's indestructible. 
when you guys um, collaborate, then uh, do you live near each other that, that you do this, or is it always like over Skype and stuff? Yeah, it's it's Skype um, pretty much. You know, we, we see each other every now and then at conventions or, you know, if one or the other of us has to go to the other one's town for mostly for work stuff um, since neither of us really travel for pleasure. But um, it's mostly over the phone, yeah. I mean, we're – we talk – I don't know. We talk at least once a week, usually more often than that. It depends on where in the process we are, how often we talk. You know, and email, a lot of email. We email pretty uh, much yeah. either every day or every other day, it seems like. Okay. So how many books are you working on at one time? How many issues or how many titles am I personally working on? Yeah, like how many – like this because this is monthly and you guys you know seem to hit the deadlines and everything so i was just wondering like what is the schedule like for you as the artist <laughs> <laughs> um you know it's been it's been an evolving process on this book i mean i've done monthlies for the big two but that was a different thing because they weren't my book so you know if i fell behind on the deadline it's like oh well no big deal we'll just get somebody else to fill in those pages and I mean that's just what they do there. Um, you know, if you fall behind an issue, they get somebody else to come in and do the issue. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not possible with Lazarus. Um, we did fall behind um, towards the end of the second arc. We just had we had a series of things happen. I got sick for a week. Um, just little things like that uh, just all seemed to happen right there at one time, and we fell behind. But you know, we've kind of we've write it ourselves and adjust it ourselves. And it's, you know, it's a five to six week schedule per issue. Um, you know, right now I'm in the beginning of a, of the next issue that I'm working on. And so I'm kind of, I'm waiting on pages of script. I'm designing, um, characters, uh, new characters that are going to be in the issue, any new locations that are going to be in the issue that I know of. Um, it's a little hard to do because I prefer to know, more about the personality of a character and also what the needs of a location are going to be story-wise. You know, I might design it and then realize, you know, just for the choreography of the whole scene that I need a door in a different wall, you know. Um, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, uh, you know, next week I'll start, you know, trying to do about a page a day um, until the book is done. And usually what ends up happening is early on, I don't quite do a page a day, and then towards the end of the deadline run, I'm trying to crank out a page and a half or two a day instead. Um, And it's just kind of a cycle that we run through. So how many um, issues ahead do you guys plan, or are you just like kind of stay, stay as current as possible because i know some people like to you know have this big cushion in case like you were saying you got sick oh yeah that'd be nice (laughs) that'd be real nice you know this you know you'd have to go back to when we first started working on the book um there was so much i mean i think readers are starting to see how much world building has gone on for this book well a lot of that you know, visually had to go on behind the scenes before we ever did the first issue. So it took a long time to get the first issue done. Um, you know, we did like a little four-page uh, preview story that I guess ran in previews at one point and maybe in the back of some other image books. I'm not exactly sure on the website. Um, 
and then I had to start working on the first issue. And that process of those two things probably took a good six months, I'm ashamed to say. Um, I was working on some other little things here and there to you know, cushion the income. Um, and then we thought that at that point we were all, we were, we were good. We thought we were like, you know, three months ahead. And then it turns out that image had wanted to put it on the schedule a month earlier than we expected. And by the time the book came out, you know, the issue that my two month cushion was gone. And, um, you know, so we were behind the eight ball from the beginning and we've never gotten ahead. Um, you know, part of the plan has always been to use the month when the trade comes out to get ahead. Um, but it always seems like, I don't know, we've, we've just, we've been getting the trades out really quick and we kind of like just jumping right into the next story arc. We haven't actually taken that month off. Um, you know, it's only happened twice so far. We'll see what happens after the third one. Um, you know, if we if we hit every deadline and never fall behind between now and the time the third one comes out, we may take that month off and try to get ahead. That would be a nice luxury. I can't. Yeah, I bet. Oh God, uh, I didn't know I'd if, sleep if... so much easier. <laughs> but you know, you know how it is with deadlines. Work just work expands to fill up time. You know, it no matter no matter how far ahead I am, I'm sure I'll end up using every moment of that time to get the book done. Do you have a secret to, um, like, not going insane when the deadline is, is really tight and you're under the gun and stuff like that? Do you have some sort of, like, stress relief or, you know, <laughs> no. do, you go, like, do you go kickboxing, you know? No, I, no, I just work. I just work. You just work. I mean, you, you know, just, part no, of it. No, I cannot stop. Part of it, did you just yell at your cat? Yeah, I was like, no, that you can't stop. You're not allowed to stop. Oh, oh. Um, well, part of it. I mean, I think that maybe other creators go through this too is, I don't know. I wish I was one of those creators who could just work from nine to five every day and only work during the week and still get everything done and be able to just turn it on and off like that. But when I'm really getting into it like that and things are getting kind of crazy is when I do the best work um, because it's like I'm just like everything I do – Lazarus is going on in my head, you know, I mean, while I'm, while I'm, you know, making my dinner, I'm thinking about what the next page that I have to draw is going to look like, because I've got to jump right on it. And that actually kind of aids the creative process in a real sick, twisted way. And I do think a lot of, a lot of other creators kind of, without wanting to end up in kind of the same state of mind. It's, you know, you've got to, you've got to get into your flow and that, that flow, that work rhythm and stuff like that is more a state of mind than anything else. And for me, at least, it's hard to go in and out of it. So sometimes that 24-hour, 24-7 work thing is, is good. I imagine scientists are like that, you know, like they're, or, or even like programmers. Like they're on the middle, you know, going and, and their thought processes are running right that moment and they've, you know, perhaps worked something out and they need to get it done they're not going to be like okay it's time to go home or time to turn this off i guess some people have to if they have family obligations yeah you know, I, mean, I don't I know that to, I, to some extent i mean i know that i can't i you know i've done i've done one all-nighter on this book and i i will not do it again if i can help it but you yeah know, that sounds unhealthy doing it 24 well, hours. yeah especially when you're 48 years old it's not fun 
Uh, Your cat wants the attention, man. What is wrong with you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, just you know, even though it, what I'm doing is not hard work by you know, compared to somebody who's out, you know, laying asphalt or something. Um, yeah. It's it's exhausting, you know, uh, and I know that I just need to step away from it. I'm not going to do good work if I don't. And I so I know that I need at least, you know. 16 hours is pushing it. If I if I'm doing a 16 hour day, that's pushing it. More like yeah, I can do 12 or 14 and be okay with that. But at some point, I need to stop and just go unwind my brain so I can sleep and get up and do it again in the morning. Yeah. You know? So you're working out of home. You're not going off to a studio. Yeah, I work at home. It's great. I've worked. At, I've always worked at home. I've never done a studio, and I fucking love it. I I I wouldn't want to be around a bunch of other humans. <laughs> so that must be nice though to just be able to like I, I'm not shaving today I'm just getting getting my coffee and you know no commute oh well I that's can't... yeah that's how I work um, you know I go straight from the bedroom into my office in the morning I mean there there's a I usually hit the office before I go back into the kitchen and make coffee um, you know, and I I jump right in with both feet every day. There's no warm up time or anything like that. I just I I, t- I hit the ground running, and that's how I've always been. And um, I don't take breaks for lunch or anything like that. If I do, it's like my day's over. Um, you know, so I I hit the ground running and you know try to be done by dinner time if I can if I can. You know, I mean I kind of. Usually ends up being more like you know okay it's it's eight or nine o'clock it's time to stop. That's interesting that you don't you don't have like um you don't do like warm up sketches. I see that a lot of people you know tweet their warm up sketches even if they're just like rough gestures of something like just to you know I don't know I guess loosen up their arms loosen up you know their eyes you know that groggy sleepy eye when you first get up. Yeah, well you know I. No. Are you a morning person? Because I'm no. a morning person. I no. Oh, okay. No. Well, I'm way more productive in the morning, which yeah. is why a two-hour commute is like you know just drains me. It's like yeah. okay, by the time I get somewhere, I'm tired. <laughs> I guess I am. I don't. I I don't like to get up to an alarm. Um, I I prefer to just wake up when I wake up, but I don't usually sleep very late. I mean, I'm not one of those people who sleeps till noon. If I sleep till noon, I feel gross. Um, and yeah, I definitely get more done in the morning. You know, I ideally what I like to do is is lay out a page and get everything ready to go on a page um, in the afternoon into the into the end of the day, and then when I get up in the morning, just jump right in with the ink and start drawing. Um, that's that's the ideal way to do it. Okay, so let's talk about some design aspects to what goes into Lazarus because um, I know one of the things that you and I tweet about a lot is how Forever Carlisle is designed and she's tall she's muscular kind of like olive skinned long hair that's just pulled straight back into a ponytail there's no mussing and fussing about her and the clothes that she wears are functional Mm -hmm. tactical clothes Um, you know and she reminded me a lot of like Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2 she yeah. just had that kind of thing about her and just like, you know, you just wear the BDUs, you got a tank top on, you, then, you know, as you go, you add some, you know, and she grabs her sword, you know. Um, so what kind of, 
what was the discussion between you and Greg like in order to make forever this type of woman instead of something else that she could have been? Um, part of it was just, I don't know. You know, we both, huh, it's hard to answer. I'll tell you, I, because I can't, I can't remember now what it was like before I knew who she was. Um, it, it feels like I've kind of, I kind of all, I've always known who she was supposed to be. So I, I don't know if I can answer that, but I know we did have a lot of discussion about it. Um, we had a lot of discussion about what she looked like, um, more so than, um, what type of character she was. That was, that almost sprung out fully formed. I mean, the way that Lazarus began is um, Greg and I were actually talking about we – we had another thing that we were talking about doing together, and it's, it's turned out he's found a different artist to do that, and, she, and the other artist is going to be way better than I would have been. Um, but we were shopping it around, and we weren't having much luck uh, as finding a contract that we both felt good about, and um, he just happened to be blowing through Dallas where I live on a – tour for one of his novels and so you know he called me up he's like let's have dinner we go to dinner and um we're just you know shooting the shit and he's like yeah i got this other thing i kind of have an idea about and he proceeds to describe to me what ended up being the first scene in lazarus number one um where forever you know confronts the guys who are robbing the house and they shoot her and she dies and then she gets back up and beats the crap out of them and you know, he described it, and I was like, "Oh man, that sounds awesome! I want to do that." And you know, he came, he gave me like a tiny bit of the background, and I was like, "That sounds awesome! I want to do that." And he said, "Really? You'd rather do that?" And I said, "Oh hell yeah!" And um, so when it came time to start drawing sketches, I kind of already had that in my head. I had this picture, um, and then it was just a matter of you know, kind of figuring out. Well, okay, you know, she's she's going to have her hair pulled back most of the time. You know, but she started out having short hair. Uh, like the first drawing I did of her, um, she had like, oh, maybe like chin length all the way around hair. And um, I don't know. I just didn't like it. I didn't like the way she looked like that. And so I decided to draw her hair longer. And then it became like, well, she's going to have to pull it back because she doesn't want to get in her face while she's fighting. And, um, you know, she wears a uniform because she's a military officer. Um and then, you know, just slowly things started kind of clicking together. You know, she, she's very closed. She doesn't, she doesn't wear her emotions on her sleeve for everybody else to see, but we get to see it as the readers um, in her private moments. So Right. You know, she, yeah, she only has like, you know, two people that she really ever feels um, connected to. Right, right. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. so she's um, – you know, she just she was she's really easy to draw. She's forever tells me what she's gonna do. I don't ever have to I don't have to think about it. Like I know how she's gonna stand. I know you know, unless Greg's given me like a really complex set of feelings for her to to be having that he's not because you know, I always say that nobody in a Rucka comic ever says what they really are thinking. Um you know, it's usually up to me to show um, the dichotomy between what they're saying and what they really feel. 
And so sometimes I'll have to try to show like a really complex set of feelings or emotions or thoughts, and that can be a little a little difficult sometimes. But um, generally, she's pretty easy. Oh, I think one of the um, I don't know what this opportunity was like for you, but one of the best opportunities as the reader was by the time we got to issue five, we start. Um, we get the flashback of Forever's origin mm-hmm. as a 10-year-old. Um, and That was my favorite part of that story arc. I mean, I um, I always drew the Baby Forever pages first. I mean, they were just like, I oh, I love doing those. It was so fun. I mean, because at that point, even though we were only five issues in, I knew the character well enough to where to drawing her as a child was easy. You know, it, there was nothing difficult about it at all. I knew who she was, and it was it was really fun. And and as you know, I get I'm the first one who gets to read the comic because I get the script. And you know, it's all it, it was a pleasure, you know, to to read those and and to get let in on that. Yeah, it was really fun. I was well. It's great to hear that. That's your response to it because I was going to ask you if anything was emotional for you drawing this ten-year-old who is learning to be a killing machine. Well, you know, it, it I, seems, I have an un, it seems unrealistic. But on the other hand, you know that we, you know, we were talking about you know like real life news stories and stuff, and you see that there are kids that are taught to pick up machine guns. You oh, know, yeah, so I was just yeah, like, yeah, no, uh, you know, no, I, I was trying to formulate how I was going to answer that. Um, it's I, I'm a t- I get attached to the characters, and but I don't have. For me, it becomes a technical exercise more so than it would be for you as a reader because your attachment to the character is, you know, almost completely, for lack of a better word, voyeuristic. But for me, I'm, I've got the technical job of jerking your chain. And so, you know, showing those kinds of scenes is fun for me as, as far as like the technical aspect of my job, you know, my job is to jerk your chain. And so when I get those kinds of things to do, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to jerk people's chains. This is going to be easy. You know, I mean, that's. Uh, yeah. So I don't I don't have the same kind of emotional response to it that you do. Um, by the same token. I think that. Part of. Part of what makes a good hmm. – I think that we as artists and maybe maybe the writers too, we have to tap in – every character has some aspect of ourselves in it. It has to for, if you're going to do it well. Um, I'm not saying I do it well, but I'm going to try to. Um, but it has to, it has to have some aspect of you in it or it's going to ring false. You know, I, I, I think – well, I remember when we did um, the Gotham Central story arc Half-A-Life. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know if you've read it. Um, no, I don't know that one. That's when um, Renee Montoya gets outed. And, oh, okay. okay. Um, you know, Greg was getting the lion's share of the credit for that, as he should have. Um, but we were at San Diego, and they wanted him to do the Gays and Lesbians and Comics panel. And he couldn't do it. He had to leave early from the show. And he said, oh, Michael will do it. 
And I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I went up and did the panel, which was one of the – it was possibly the greatest experience of my life. Um, you know, aside from having a kid, it was probably the greatest experience of my life. But uh, one of the things they asked me was, you know, how can how can you as a straight man – convey this story of a lesbian getting outed and I was like I don't think you guys I don't think you're looking at it universally enough yes it is that story but we all it was a story about somebody having a, a secret and having their secret revealed it was somebody who um, had something about themselves that they were ashamed about that was just core to who they were and they were ashamed of it and Everybody found out what it was, and they had to confront that shame. And I was like, that's a universal story. Like, everybody has that story somewhere in their lives, some, somewhere. Yeah, and, I agree. And, um, you know, I, I felt really, 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 really connected to that story because of that. You know, that was something that really spoke to me. Um, so, but, I, but again, I didn't have the same emotional response that the readers did to it. You know, I just I, – I still had – I had to take – you know, as I'm thinking about how those characters are acting and the, the, their facial expressions and their body language and stuff like that, you know, all I have to draw on is my own experience. And, you know, okay, what would I do if I were in that position? You know, that – I mean it's not like that conscious of a process, but how else are you going to do it? You know, I mean, if you're if you're tasked with, you know, drawing somebody who's standing there feeling angry because somebody just lied to them, you know, you're going to think, you know, you're immediately going to wonder, OK, how do I convey that? And the only thing you've got to draw on is your own experience. So in the script detail, does it have um, really specific things like that or does he write the panel descriptions more of the action and know that you're going to understand the emotion as you're reading it? Um, it's a mix. Greg tends to write his scripts um, more as if he's describing a series of still images. Um, every writer is different. Every writer writes their scripts differently. Um, you know, uh, on the other side of the spectrum for me was working with Brubaker, who his scripts are always in motion somehow. He's describing he's describing actions. Um, Rucka is describing like you know that that image that he has in his head. So, but then he will add if he has to, you know, um, what the person's feeling and stuff, it, you know. But it, there's not a lot of that, you know. A lot of it is just the fact that we both know the characters. I I love that you do like um like you the way that you describe forever to me she feels like a real person oh, and yeah. um and, and some of the other ones like her that those couple issues where she is young and she has this te teacher who's you know teaching her to be this killing machine um marisol i believe her name yeah, was um first of all the the you know the the women of these issues like are phenomenal they're they take such spotlight and they're all unique and they all have different strengths and different weaknesses like you know um forever's 
sister is like <laughs> she's such a conniving bitch <laughs> yeah. and you know this personality you know this you can see each personality come out and how unique they are and how differently they're drawn and you know like marisol like the you can't um confuse her with somebody else whereas so many of the comics that you know, whether it's deadline or just a lack of, I don't know, imagination or something. So many of the characters just look the same, but maybe with different hair or like their outfits different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know. some of that is the, you know, yeah, it's just a shorthand. I mean, it really is just a shorthand that we employ. I mean, I think that that, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of that a lot of times, I think. But, you know, I try, especially with women, I, I find it really difficult to give women a lot of character because um, the way I draw, it's it's hard to make women attractive and still have, like, real individual features and stuff. There's There's kind of, like, this art shorthand for attractive women. Because if you add too many lines, then yeah. suddenly they look wrinkly. Yeah, yeah well, I've, I've seen that. Yeah, and I mean, I've, I'm getting better at it and learning how to do it more. But, um, you know, I've never had to draw this many women in a comic before. Um, you know, most comics that I've been given to do, you know, there's, there's just not that many female characters. Um, you know, this book is, is very, very well populated with a diverse cast Right, uh, and uh, ethnically diverse, also. And that's um, yeah, that's something that's you know partially it's important to the story. Like we've we've had discussions about, you know, depending on the areas where we are, you know, what are the people going to look like? You know, uh, in uh, New York, where we just were in issue ten, you know, very briefly, but um, you know the the East Coast and the Northeast is not as uh, in our in this book is not as ethnically diverse as say the West Coast is. You know there are a lot more uh, Hispanic and Asian people on the West Coast and uh, in the book. So you know that and, I think I, and because of because I, of the territorial nature of all the different families, we've that's something we've had to be real aware of. And, but Greg's always aware of that anyway. He wants his books to reflect, um, you know, reflect reality. Uh, right, know, I mean, and that's I, I feel the same way because I feel, like you said you use the word territory, territory, and I I think that that's a really strong point because, um, you know, like I'm from New Jersey, so people have this vision in their head of what you know men and women from New Jersey are going to look like and sound like, mm -hmm. and I can guarantee you I do not look like those women on that TV show. Um, well, any of them. That's, that's, There's like that's a stereotype. Yeah, there's like eight New Jersey TV shows. I don't look like any of them. Um, but I but I do agree that, you know, there's going to be an Italian uh, strength here versus a Latino strength maybe in L.A. or something like that. You know, like those are just things that I haven't been to those cities necessarily. And that's all that my brain is aware of, you know, maybe because of entertainment. I'm not sure. Well, you know, you know, being in being in Dallas, you know, we've I, I read somewhere that I mean, you know, ethnically, um, Hispanics make up the largest percentage of the population in in Dallas, and I think you know it's just regionally where you are, things are just going to be a little bit different. You know, there's it's it's where the immigrants come from. 
It all just depends on where the immigrants come from. I was watching um, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time is on Netflix. It's called Better Off Ted. Uh And there's this uh, girl in the lab and she's Asian. And um, so some guy is coming up to meet her and he's like, oh, you're so exotic. And she's like, there are like billions more of my people than your people. You're the exotic one. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, but I guess maybe not in this town. Like, I just worked in like perhaps one of the whitest jobs ever. Like, yeah, one of the whitest towns ever. So I, 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 it's, it's one of those things where I'm, I try to be so much more aware when I'm writing something to be like, no, don't make this like your town. Make this like the world. Well, and I think that, you know, also it's going to reflect our own experiences again. You know, I mean, that's, it's something that I'm glad Greg reminds me of because, um, you know, Dallas is incredibly segregated. And, you know, my experience, I I rarely interact with black people. Um, it's not, you know, because I don't like black people at all. It's just because Dallas is so segregated that – you know, it, there's just and you don't no leave mix. your house. Well, that too. I don't run across <laughs> many humans at all. But um, you know, it's 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 rare to go places here where there's a mix of races. It's just it's it's you know it's just weird. It's a weird place to be. But you know, when I go places, like especially if I go to New York, it's so refreshing to not have it be that way. You know, that I sometimes though living here, I kind of forget how diverse most places are compared to this. Yeah, New York is definitely, um, you know, you see everything, absolutely everything. You just go to Times Square and people watch. Yep. Um, I know, uh, I think the first time I heard Greg Rucka's name in the comic book store, um, it was, you know, talking to the owner, Stacy, and she told me to to read his Wonder Woman, that it was like her favorite – moments of wonder of wonder woman at all out of you know this 75 years or whatever we've had of her mm-hmm. and um so in my brain that's what he's known for even though he does so much other stuff so what do you want to be known for what what do you want people to say oh that michael lark of well you know i think that i don't think i have any control over that you know, I mean, whatever I'm working on at the time is the thing I'm happiest with and proudest of. You know, um, I'll say that prior to working on Lazarus, um, working on Gotham Central was the thing I was proudest of. Um, you know, I got to work with with Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker at the same time on that book, and that was how I met Greg. Um, it was the first monthly I worked on. And, you know, I I got to be part of a really, really great creative team that was doing a really, really great book. And and we were super proud of the work we did on that and were very disappointed at the way um, – I don't want to say the way it was received because it was received by fans and stuff really well. Uh, it didn't sell a lot, but the people who who like that book and you know we still have new readers coming aboard for that book, even though it's long gone. Um, every convention I go to, somebody's like, "Oh man, I just read Gotham Central for the first time." Um, so that, but I mean, right now because Lazarus is my baby, and you know, if if I have my way, 
you know, I will do this until this story is done being told, which, you know, it's going to be a lot of issues. You know, I mean, I we could easily do 100 issues of Lazarus if people keep buying it. Right. I, you know, and I hope that I hope that for you, because yeah. it's, it shows that you, you know, when I follow you guys on Twitter, it, it shows that you really love this project and you feel invested in this project. Yeah, you know, and that's it, it does make a big difference, you know, doing creator owned. And, you know, I I think that since Lazarus has started, I've I've been pretty down on the big two. And that's probably not fair to them. They have their place in the market and they you know, I'm grateful for the the work I got to do with them. Um, you know, it it was it was what I needed when I needed it. Um, at the same time, there's no denying that doing this work that is that is mine and that I can invest myself in this way is so much more rewarding than anything I ever did with them. I mean, there's there's some things that were part of the oh I don't know just the day to day interaction with working with those companies that I would never care to repeat, um, meaning I would never care to do them again. Uh, and I've not had those kind of problems working at Image. And, you know, so being invested in it and just having, just knowing the company has our back at all times um, has been really, really great. I love it. Yeah, I would love to be, I would love to, you know, when they write my obituary, have Lazarus be the thing they lead off with. Yeah. Well, it seems like you guys um, have an incredible working relationship. And you were talking about Ed Brubaker. And, and in my mind, I always, my brain finishes that with Brubaker Phillips. Like, you know, am I going to get to that point after a certain number of issues where I'm just like, ruck a lark? Well, you know, <laughs> it's funny because um, I was the one, I was the one who hooked up uh, Ed and Sean. Sean inked me on a thing, the first thing I did with Ed. And uh, that was how they started working together, I think. Um you know, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, Greg and I are just, you know, we just have a really good symbiotic creative partnership. Um, you know, I I like to draw the kinds of stories that he likes to write. And, you know, we we aren't the same person. We do have, you know... I think we, we do have different approaches to the work sometimes, but they complement each other really well. And, you know, we can we, – we, can, we, we, we just work together really well. It's a really great collaboration. It's easy. Um, we almost never have any disagreements about uh, any kind of direction for anything. And when we do, all we do is talk about it and we work it right out. It's, there's never a fight. Um, you know, Greg's – Greg's one of those people in that he's just he's just a really really good person. I would trust him with my life, and um, I I know that Greg would never do anything to let me down or screw me over in any way. And um, it's just it's really easy to work with somebody like that. And you know the whole creative team on this book. I mean, you know me and Greg and Santi get the lion's share of the credit, but. There are a lot of people that are helping us out on a lot of stuff too. Our editor David is great. 
um, Eric Troutman, who does all the like graphic design work for the book, and he also helps Greg um, in in little. I, I'm actually I'm not even sure how he helps Greg, um, but I know he and Greg work together on a lot of the family history stuff and the world building stuff. Um, you know, I have somebody who helps me ink, and I have like an assistant who has now become the letterer on the book and we all just get along really, really well. And, you know, it's just a, you know, a nice, happy family. It's great. I was going to ask you if you were the one that got to design the cool corporate logos and family logos or stuff. That sounds like Troutman did that maybe? Yeah. Trout, that's Troutman's thing. Um, I did the Carlisle one. Um, and then Eric kind of tweaked it a little bit. I mean, he took, he took the sketches that I did and, um, put them together in, in illustrate. He's like the illustrator guy. He can use illustrator and, and I don't know how to. So he does a lot of that stuff. Um, Eric's thing is world building. That's just, I mean, he used to work for Microsoft and work and Bungie doing, um, world building stuff for video games. And, um, you know, that's just that's just his thing. It's what he's good at, you know. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the, it's it's fun because we can have like a little discussion with Eric um, you know, and say, "Well, I think we're going to need this or, you know, here's this family and this is what's going on." And you know, for issue 10, I needed some uh some signs uh to put up for I need I just need some graphic design stuff for the Hawk family and you know what we what ends up happening whenever we meet a new family um if it hasn't already been done we you know put our heads together and kind of decide you know what the based on the history of the family like how we want to visually approach them and um so that was what was going on with the Hawk family. It was like, okay, I've got these hallways. I need to put up some signage. I need to do this. I need to do that. And, you know, half an hour later, we'll have all this stuff from Eric that, you know, he's just sat down and obsessively churned out over the last half hour. And, you know, the signs that he made that nobody will ever see for the Hawk family were just – they were fucking hilarious. Um, they were just these horrible totalitarian <laughs> to the point of being like black humor about stuff. You know, it was just like just as horrible as he could make them. And they were they were just funny. And I mean, he was just over the course of one evening, he just churned out like six or seven of these things to where, you know, Greg and I just like every time we got an email, we would just break out laughing because Greg has done something else that was just horrible. I mean, Eric has done something horrible that was is hilariously horrible. So, um, yeah, it's you know, he does all the he does all the flags and the, the the family logos and you know usually they've talked about like the history of the companies of these families and he'll have designed like the logos through the whole history of the company um you know he he designs all I the- love that because it sort of looked like um like one of them reminded me of like a old uh, design that you'd see on the on a crate or an old general store or something mm-hmm. where it had like that script font Oh yeah, and he uh, does he does those ads. I don't know if you've noticed yeah. the the fake ads, like fake ads, yeah. You know, I, like I, the first time I got one, I was like, "What is this? Why am I getting this? Why is why are we why are we put?" I was like, "What is this ad we're putting on our book?" And they're like, "It's not a real ad." And then I looked at it, yeah. I was like, "Oh, holy shit, this is awesome!" Yeah, and um, cool stuff. and there and again, we get to see the ones that don't make it onto the back of the book, and they're all great. It's 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 impossible to like 
pick one as being better than the other. Um, so yeah, that stuff's really fun. I mean, I would love to be able to do stuff like that. And at first I was really hesitant to give it up because I felt like, no, I'm the artist on this book. I should be doing everything. But then I realized that he's just way better at it than I am. And, um, and, and I don't have the time. I'm so I'm too busy trying to figure out how to tell the story to also have the time to sit down and design all the computer graphics and, you know, corporate logos for corporations and families that don't exist and real family crests. You know, the the thing that finally made me give it up was when I was trying to design um some military gear. And um you know, I was just getting it all wrong. You know, I mean, I kept getting emails from them going, no, they wouldn't really do that. They wouldn't really do that. And finally, I was like, all right, you know what? I give up. I'm not doing this stuff anymore. You guys know what you're doing. You do it. You know, I think a lot of people like to fake that, that sci-fi stuff. And yeah. it's nice to have some people who uh, who actually know what they're doing that do it and can make it, you know, as realistic as possible. Oh, I wanted to know um, if you were responsible for the cool architecture details that we see because there's there's a lot of lab interiors and then there's like military compounds and there's the exterior of buildings like there's building overlooking a cliff and stuff like because the issues sort of take us to two or three places usually maybe no more than two places um i wondered if that was something where you know you had somebody that said here you know this is a this is what a military compound would look like well there's a you know there's a lot of research um greg greg will let me know like where something's taking place and from there well i mean i'll just try to think of a good example that i can use um something that's already been seen well, let's see. I was thinking of like the there's labs. Where yeah, there's, I mean, well, you know, I mean, some stuff because it's it's real near future. There's not a lot of um, invention that I need to do. I can I can just look up stuff online and say, you know, I mean, there are certain there are certain types of rooms and buildings and things like that that just aren't going to change that much. Uh, as far as like the look that when we start getting into the details and stuff, I'm you know, a lot of that is just we start researching stuff online, and I look at a lot of concept art for, you know, just concept art for video games, movies, you know, whatever is out there. And I'll start saying, oh, well, I kind of like this element from here and this element from here. And, um, you know, I especially do that with vehicles. Like I'll, I'll look at concept vehicles and go, okay, I like – I like the way they did the wings on that one, but I like the way they did the fuselage on that one and the engines on that one and little bits and bobs here and bits and bobs there. And I'll start, you know, kind of sketching out my own version of those things. Um, and then I turn it all over to – once I've designed it, I'll end up doing like a blueprint of whatever it is, you know, whether it's a room or a vehicle or whatever. Um, you know, I, I kind of do like a, a quick sketchy um, – you know, elevation or, you know, whatever. And then uh, I have a guy who builds SketchUp models of everything for me. And so he'll build a SketchUp model of, you know, like Forever's Motorcycle was a, is a good yeah, example. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Forever's Motorcycle was, you know, Greg said, Forever's riding a really cool motorcycle. And that was as much as I got from him. And, um, <laughs> you know, and I called him, I was like, Greg, you know, is this motorcycle electric? Is it gas? What does it run on? You know, 
I started asking him all these questions. He was like, oh, man, I never thought about that. I was like, yeah, I know. You guys never do. But um, but we have to think <laughs> of that. And so then it became a matter of you know the two of us like – you know, a lot of times sitting on Skype and going through – I'm going through web pages while he's going through web pages, and we're sending each other links and stuff until we start finding all the bits and pieces and looks and feels that we like. And um, and like I said, then I'll you know I'll take all those bits and pieces and put them all together and send them to my SketchUp guy, and he'll you know send me back a 3D model of Forever's motorcycle. And then you know using SketchUp, I can essentially you know photograph that from any angle that I want and, and draw it accurately because I'm, I'm terrible at being able to draw stuff like that accurately from my head. I can't do it. I mean, I can do perspective drawing. Um, you know, I can do that stuff, but it takes me forever and a day to try to get it right. Um, this way, it's, you know, I've got reference for anything I need from any angle. It's great. That, that's some neat tools that, you know, it, uh, and plus you have a, it sounds like you guys have a really big team, you know, and good environment for your, for each other. Well, it's more like I, you know, I guess the majority of, of it like that, you know, I've got an inking assistant, I've got the letterer that I work with and she just kind of helps me do all the, the digital pain in the ass work that I'd rather not do. And then I've got my model builder guy, um, that I pay to build the models and, and all of those things I, I are things I could do myself. But it takes a lot of time, and it takes me away from the time that I want to spend actually, you know, telling a story with, with pictures. Right. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I can fall down the research rabbit hole real fast. Um, you know, that I can spend all day just doing Google searches for, you know, trying to find the perfect motorcycle handlebars, and um, you know, that's that's just a, that in, turns into a huge waste of my time. Right. So at least it's, that's pretty cool, though, if you have somebody that's just like, no, here is what it will look like. And, you know, and then if you need to tweak it, you can. Yeah. I mean, it. like I design it. Yeah. I, I'm still yeah. designing it. It's not like I'm, I'm, I'm somebody else is doing the design work. Um, and, you know, as far as like buildings and stuff go, yeah, we, we discuss all of that. Like we, you know, well, I mean, we saw New York for the first time in the last issue. And I mean, I, I imagine that we're still going to see more of it later but um because we only saw like you know a couple tiny little scenes um but you know we talked a lot about okay what's happened in between now and the time this takes place um what does new york look like you know what's gone on how's the family managed it while they've been there you know what are the people who live there like um you know we discuss all of that and um you know and before i sit down and you know greg said okay you know Lower Manhattan has been flooded because of global warming and rising sea levels. So, you know, essentially you've got, you know, Venice. You've got, mm -hmm. you've got flooded streets with buildings coming out of them. What it looked like when uh, Sandy went through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was <laughs> – yeah. Now you've got real graphic, real, real photos you can look at. Well, up. yeah, I did. And, I mean, that was part of it. But, you know, then we were like, okay, you know, so, you know, they built, they built raised – you know, platforms to function as sidewalks, you know, because, you know, the water level is pretty much just covering up like the first floor. And, um, you know, so they built like, you know, these raised sidewalks and then it was like, well, what kind of sidewalks are they? 
And then we had to talk about the economics of the family and how they run their domain. And, you know, because of that, the sidewalks would be like this. And then it was, okay, go out on the internet, start looking up things like that, and sending them back to Greg going, is this kind of what you had in mind? Were you thinking about something like this? And then putting all the bits and pieces together. And then, yeah, I had my model builder build me a New York street with, you know, raised wooden plank scaffolding sidewalks and that were poorly maintained and put together. Um, I bet people reading it have no idea that this much research goes into a sidewalk. No, they don't. And I mean, you know, the other thing is that was like, I did all that for five panels. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it appeared for five panels in the whole issue, but I had, you know, we had, I had to know how we were going to do that. And, you know, I'm worse than most about things like that, I think. I mean, I think most comic book artists tend to just jump right in and just kind of draw that stuff out. I have never had the gift for being able to just draw something that doesn't exist. Um, and it, it's awesome that now I've got these tools where I can make them exist in the computer to be able to draw them. So that's a really good representation and understanding of what it's like for for you and your peers and, you know, maybe to an extent people that you're um, – that look up to you as like you're the main, you know, artist. So you've got assistants and stuff. So who have you had in your life that's been a mentor for your art career? You know, I've never, I've, I've not had one individual person. Um, you know, I, I'm not trained. Um, I studied uh, advertising art for the first three years of college, um, but I hated it and dropped out of it. I didn't, I did not want to, you know, sell people crap that they don't need anyway. And so I, you know, didn't get my degree in that. And I never got any kind of illustration training or anything like that. I mean, I've really just felt, felt it out on my own and, you know, different people through the years have said different things to me that resonate and stick and have, you know, had, you know, a, you know, a little bit of influence here and a little bit of influence there. And it all kind of comes together to make the whole package. But I never had anybody that, you know, was kind of a guide for me. And I, I regret that. I kind of wish, you know, like one of my buddies on Twitter, you know, spent a lot of time working with Howard Chaikin. And I'm like, dude, I, you know, I wish I would have had that. That would have been great just to, to be able to pick that guy's brain, you know, and, and to have that, that resource there. Um, and I never really, never really had anything like that. Yeah. I don't know that it's, um, I, I don't know that something everybody has, but um, I think that we all have we all have influences more than anything else. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I'll I'll pour over every single line that Robert Fawcett drew, or you know, and I've got I've got a you know a, a good portion of like everything that Alex Toth did in comics, um, you know, things like that, but. And I'll study them. I'll study them ad nauseum. Um, yeah, I guess that would have been really cool, though, if they could have been there and been like, nah, hey, Michael, here, here let me show you this. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, like, a, oh, like back, in, you know, back in the day when, you know, 
when painters were learning how to paint, you know, you'd be you'd be an apprentice to a you know a painter for a while. You know, they'd tell you if you know you need to paint a gold locket. Here's how you paint a gold locket. You know, you mix these colors in this proportion and blah 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 blah. I never, you know, I, I don't think we have that anymore. I mean, maybe we do, but um, I don't know. I I've always just had to make it up as I go along. I wish, um, at least from a writing perspective, I wish I had that. <laughs> I don't. I don't have that. I think uh, it's. I think certain trades lend itself to that, like chefs. You know. Yeah. Like they they are not normally you know somebody that's alone. They're there, and you know they have the head chef, and then they work on the line and stuff like that, it and is, they work their way out. Yeah, it is yeah. weird that we don't have that. I mean, I, you know, I would love to, for somebody to have taught me how to draw a nose properly. You know, it's just, say, oh, this is all you do. I mean, I can look at, like, all kinds of different comics artists now and, you know, try to, but really, in the end, I just end up having to do it the way I do it. Um you know, I, I don't think you – know, it's funny. I look at my art. When I'm doing my art, I'm like, ooh, I'm doing this just like this guy. I'm doing this just like that guy because I'm thinking I'm trying to do it that way. And I look at the end result. And I'm like, well, didn't come anywhere close to that um, You know, because I don't have near the chops that they do. But you know, there's always you know, dancing around in the back of my head. There's always all those guys that, that influence me um, and whose work I really like and respect. That's cool. Well, it's about an hour, so um, I, I will let you go. But first, I All want right. some some information, like if you can uh, share if you're doing any conventions or um, you know engagements that you have set up. I am going to be doing uh, a signing and signing, and I guess a little talky talk thing um, in Austin on September seventh, and I've got to go here to my calendar and look up the place where I'm doing it. And because I wasn't expecting you to ask this, I'm not prepared. At Tribe Comics, um, and it's there's a there's a group um, Austin Comics Women, I think they're called. Um, that they do a thing every month, and um, they were planning on you know doing like a thing about Lazarus that day, and it turned out that I was available, so I'm going to go down for that. I don't have any cons scheduled right now. Um, I found that cons tend to keep me from getting my deadlines met, and it's not much use going to a con to promote a book that's been canceled because nobody buys it because you don't meet your deadlines. Okay. So, yeah, no cons scheduled right now. Okay, but you are very visible on Twitter. So, yes. Um, what's, your, yeah. what's your Twitter? It's just your uh, name, right? Yeah, it's uh, at MichaelLark66. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, and, I'm, a, and, I'm a loud mouth on there. Um, <laughs> you're, but you're very uh, just accessible. Well, I'm just some guy, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so people can uh, follow that and follow, of course, the Image Comics uh, Twitter feed if they need to see announcements and stuff for, for Lazarus yep. and when it's coming out and when it's hitting and it's uh, in previews and that kind of thing. Yeah, I try to be really good about, um, you know, putting final order cutoff dates and stuff like that on there. And, and I post, as I'm working on the books, I post teaser artwork a lot. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I am, what am I doing? I have a couple engagements myself coming up because I, I was at Boston Comic Con, which was fantastic. I had a great time. Um, 
But in my neck of the woods at Comic Fusion, we do Superhero Weekend, which is our big two-day charity event for our domestic violence shelter. And so that is October 4th and 5th. And I hope that, uh, you know, that we have another great year. We, um, we're in a new, newish store that we've been in for a couple years now. And so there's a lot of room and um, people donate their comic art and their books and stuff like that. And we raise lots of money and have lots and lots of cosplayers coming out. Um, so it'll, it'll be good this year. Hopefully the weather will cooperate. That's always an issue in New Jersey. Doesn't matter what day it is, what time of year it is. We're just like, oh, please let the weather hold out. Um, so people can, of course, follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter, and the website is amberunmasked.com. But uh, Michael, this is this is great. I'm so glad that we finally actually had a chance to talk, like you know, humans and not just typewriters. Yeah, we, it's, yeah, it's one step closer to being 3D friends. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> I'll have your guy like do a 3D you know model of me and like <laughs> <laughs> um all right so guys we've been talking about Lazarus and that's a book that you should all be getting and making sure that you're talking about because um they the pre-orders on on the sales and stuff really help out and and keep books like this going so that's that's my mission to all of you listening is um, should you choose to accept, pick up this book. Read more <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, cool. Well, Michael, thanks again for your, your time, and um, I look forward to seeing you on Twitter. Yep, it was my pleasure. Bye.